The Weather Lounge podcast is brought to you by Crew Tracker Software. This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Weather Lounge. I'm meteorologist Michael Prianti, and this is part two of our Hurricane Hunter interview. So if you haven't already checked out part one, make sure you go back and do that before you listen to this one, since we'll be picking up right where we left off. So without further delay, let's get back into it. So, I mean, we talked about your experiences within the storm, but um, let's go through some of the main purposes or objectives of actually going into hurricanes and and, and, and fixing that eye. It sounds like that's one of the main objectives, obviously. <clears throat> but many many people might not really realize what you guys are, are trying to do out there. They might just think like, oh, these guys are just flying into the thing for fun, you know. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of things you guys are, are, are trying to figure out with the storm to help the forecasters, correct? I'll just start basically for the invest. We actually were tasked with an invest for that one just in the northern Gulf today. They canceled it because it, it isn't really turning into anything. But an invest is really... You're going out there at low altitudes. You're using your eyes on the ocean. Like the ARWO, the weather officer is, I'm looking at the ocean. And I'm trying to see if we're basically driving around. And you'll see we're, we're all over the place on an invest. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to see if there's all the four quadrants of a storm's winds are there. If it's actually a closed circulation all the way around a low pressure. So we'll, we'll do, we have different techniques, you know, based on if it's a trough. Um, if there's multiple surface centers, if there's multiple, you know, vortices, any, anything, there's, there's different approaches that an ROI will take. You, you might want to do a box pattern around the coordinates to see if those, those quadrants of winds are there, or you might want to go right to the point that the hurricane center took, took you to, and then go through and then come back around and just kind of see if you're getting those wind flips, you know, switches of the winds. So you're doing that at real low altitude, um, have to be careful, obviously, because it's low altitude, and if you hit a storm or something, the updrafts and downdrafts. So there we're trying to determine if there's a closed circulation or the lack of circulation so that the hurricane center knows if it's developing or not. Then as you get up, as they start categorizing it like a, a tropical depression on up, the higher altitude will fly because the you know more risk of safety, you know, the more risk – Risk of um, things that are going on, the closer you are to the ocean with thunderstorms and convection, you want to be higher away from the water. So, And then the stronger the winds are, of course, too. So as a TD, tropical depression, you know, now we're doing fixed missions. We're, we're, we're fixing the center. We're going through the center at flight altitude. And where those winds switch, those flip, that's basically where you're calling the center. You're doing it at a flight altitude. That's where you'll launch a weather instrument, and as it falls and it terminates in the center, the drop sound will tell you what the surface pressure is and what the wind speeds are at the surface. If the wind speeds are, let's just say, 30 knots, you know that the surface center is not co-located with the flight center. So it's tilted then because you're getting 30-knot winds. It's not calm right underneath the, the flight center. It's not a vertically stacked system. So, so now that tells the hurricane center – things oh it's tilted this direction oh and we need to reduce the pressure because 30 30 knots they use a reduction formula i think of every 10 knots is one millibar of pressure so if the center said 950 they would reduce it down to 947 or somewhere around there 
Um, so, so as we start getting into the fixed missions, we're basically what we're doing is we're doing this X pattern called the alpha pattern where we're flying through every quadrant of the storm, trying to get gather data from each quadrant to you know, basically tell this, the storm center, the hurricane center, the, the nature of the storm, where the strongest quadrants are, what's going on in each one of them, what's the weakest ones, how is it intensifying, um, what's the center of pressure for the drop sun? What we're dropping eyewall drop suns occasionally, depending on the storm. Now, now that we're doing a lot more customized stuff, where the hurricane center doesn't want us wasting time and effort and instrumentation and, and resources on a side of the, say, say it's just like a half storm. You know, there's a lot of those early in the season where you might have an Eastern half storm and the West is weak and there's not much. So they might shorten our legs on that side. Tell us not to drop any weather instruments, but only do the East side. So we're doing a lot more of that kind of stuff too. Um, and then really it's the fix fixing that center where that center is. So that way the models know where it's that center is getting the drops on data from all around the storm. We're doing endpoints as well, which they found, I think, increased the model accuracy, uh, track accuracy up to 10 or 15%. So we do these endpoint drop signs. You'll see them if you're watching us at each endpoint where we're coming inbound or outbound. And that helps with the resolution of the models and, and increasing the, um, the track forecast. So it's really about drop signs. Now we're also doing, well, we have been doing this, our high-density observations at flight level. So it's it's bringing in these, sending out these bursts of um, data ten minute, every 10 minutes. They're 30-second averages. They get put into the GFS model now and um, the TC Wharf. So we're trying to work with other model agencies to try to get our high-density data ingested in their models as well because they also found i think they did a study on the th worth that it, our high density model data or high density observation data actually increased the model and um forecast accuracy with those too so we're trying to get all our data in the models as well i mean that's a progress yeah i mean because a a lot of the the issue with the uh the the numerical models that we use is that you know, it's um, they have a hard time with the intensity of storms. You know, that seems to be a, a problem ac across the board that, you know, getting that intensity right is just not there. So, you know, with your, you know, mission data, I mean, it, it's good to see that that's getting ingested and trying to improve upon those, those model uh, inaccuracies. Yeah, and all these conferences and different things that we go to really help with, like, the interagency type stuff. Like, for example, like, there are tons of people use the Euro, the ECMWF, but, but they're still not adjusting our HD op data. And I've been trying to work with them and say, Hey, what do you need to do? Like it's out there because the, that's a, that's a model that the tropical, um, tropical people use. So why can't we get all this data in the, at least the models that people are looking at, you know? So the GFS, they came on board, I think last year, Hsworth has been doing it for a while. Um, but yeah, there's there's different things that the models are just you know you have to get get to the right person and talk to hey are you, do you know about this data you know they might not even know about it you know or they might not know what the code is or they need to you know, code it or make sure that they can decode it and make sure the model can assimilate it you know there's all kinds of different things that go on to that which I'm learning but um, 
just trying to help the basically the the career field, the the community. You know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um. So. You know, talking about your missions, we we talked about the data you collect and what you're doing out there uh, on your missions. Um, but what kind of aircraft do you actually use to fly into these storms? Because obviously you can't go in with a, you know, general commercial aircraft here. You know, <laughs> we can't just go in with a, you know, a, a 737 or something like that that you, that you fly uh, to Chicago in or something like that. Right. Yeah. So the, the Air Force uses a WC-130J. W stands for weather configured. So it's a it's a standard C-130J, although all 10 of ours, we have 10 of them, are short versions. Um, they're shorter than the normal C-130J length. Um, I think they're 30 feet shorter. I'm, I'm not exactly, exactly sure because I don't want to be quoted on this, but they are, they're shorter. We have another unit on base with us that have the long, normal C-130J model. Um, but ours are shorter, I think, I think it has to do with like maybe controllability and stuff in the, in the storm environment. And those are prop, right? Yeah. The, uh, four, four engine, uh, turbo prop, six blade, um, six blades. H model was four blades before. Is there a reason you use that airplane versus something else? I mean, is the prop better? Yeah. The prop actually breaks up the rain. So when you're in intense, ah. intense rain, it, it It'll, it breaks up the rain droplets so that way it doesn't um, stall or get ingested or cause a, a stall. So like if you took a jet engine, all that rain could could stall it out. So the, so the, the propellers help break it up <clears throat> in the intense eye walls and eye, intense precipitation. Hence why commercial jets then try to fly around and yeah, over yeah. storms. I mean, we right? avoid them too. I, don't but get me wrong. Sometimes you can't though, yeah. I mean, we avoid them um we avoid them and when we're not in a tropical environment we have a waiver to fly through anything we need to or whatever to get the mission done for a tropical mission but outside of that if we're flying out over the gulf or going to california or hawaii or whatever we totally avoid them like normal thunderstorm avoidance criteria because plus higher altitude is not good either <laughs> you're in colder temps you're you know, you're near anvils and all the other stuff. So you use the C-130 um, turbo prop, and what else do you have that um, you use in missions? Well, the, the that's the only thing we use aircraft. Um, and then the crew, of course. I mean, we have two computer pallets in the back that that we sit on, the, the weather officer, and then there's a, the drop-sound operator. He sits basically right next to us but facing the other direction. So we can kind of talk to each other and we all are in headsets. So we're all can communicate, but um, we can kind of look at each other and, you know, hand signal if we need to, if there's a conversation going on or something. Um, and then we have a, we have an instrument on our uh, right wing called the SFMR step frequency microwave radiometer. It's a passive sensor that basically uh, in layman's terms um, takes the emissivity. It's a, it receives emissivity from below the aircraft of a certain footprint um, over water. Well, it'll receive any emissivity, but anything that the ocean is emitting based on foam, ocean foam is ocean rough surface roughness. So the wind passes over the ocean. It causes white whiteness, white, white, white caps, waves, and all that is emitting. The ocean is emitting and it captures all that or receives it. And then there's uh, equations in uh, the processor that 
spit it out and tell you what the wind speeds are based on that. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And it, it's more accurate in hurricane strength or higher because um, there's a lot of things that emit, right? So anything below the aircraft, sun glint on the ocean, uh, UV radiation, clouds, precip, salinity of the ocean, sea surface temps of the ocean. So all these things are actually in the equation. They're in the equation to kind of rule it out and factor it in. And then it already knows and it can account for all that. And then anything else that's being emitted from the ocean, it can take that and turn it into a wind speed. Um, the algorithm and the equation. So it's very accurate high wind speed because the ocean roughness that em when it starts emitting because of that, it overpowers the equation. It's where it, it, it's basically the, the end result is high wind speed. There's all these other factors are very, very small um, footprints in the equation. So it, it tells you that it can tell you um, some rain rates as well, uh, an estimation of uh, what the rain rates are as well that you're going through. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge thing with hurricanes, too, because, uh, you know, a lot of people are always concerned about the wind, concerned about the wind. But, you know, the amount of rainfall that these things produce, especially if they stall like something uh, in, in, in Texas. Well, I think it was Henry Harvey Harvey Harvey. Harvey. There you go. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of stalled and dropped, uh, you know, 40 some inches of rain or something around Houston. So, you know, that, that's a main and a main factor in the storm along with that storm surge that comes in. Now, can you, can you guys, are you guys aiding in that too of, you know, trying to predict that storm surge? Do you get information on that at all or not? Well, the, so I, I told you about our SFMR, our drop signs, and then our aircraft data, um, flight level, all flight level stuff, temperature, dew point, flight level winds, all that stuff. And then anything we see visually or, or radar imagery, um, we can tell them what the radar is looking like, if there's stuff going on in the in internally of the structure of the storm, things like that. And visual winds that we can, we can, we're trained to look at the ocean and tell what the ocean winds look like based on what the roughness of the ocean looks like. So we can tell them what the visual winds are if there's all the instrumentations matching that's great but we're working towards getting more instruments on our aircraft so as far as storm surgeon there's there are instruments that help tell i think wave there's different instruments that help with waves um many other things right now where we're working towards it. it's much different different to get that equipment on a military aircraft than it is for example uh, Department of Commerce aircraft. <laughs> so um, we have to go through a lot longer of a process. Um, so there's cybersecurity. There's all kinds of other things that we have to go through just to get that on the, on the plane. So we're working towards it. We're getting slowly, slowly, but surely we're working towards getting more instrumentation to be able to kind of mi mix and match instruments to fit whatever type of mission we're going on. Since 2004, Crew Tracker Software has enabled snow and ice management companies to save time, money, and resources with their comprehensive digital services platform. 
All the information needed to plan your operations and make business decisions is current and always available. Along with QuickBooks, CrewTracker software provides seamless integration with WeatherWorks certified SoFall totals. Visit CrewTracker.com to rock your game and learn how CrewTracker software makes managing snow and ice simple. Take advantage of the SIMA Show Special $500 discount and White Glove Startup Service offer. So I had I had I was curious about the dropsons. Obviously, you're dropping these things out of the aircraft. What happens then? <laughs> do are they gone forever, or do is there a recovery mission, or, or how's that go? No, they're gone. It's like a weather balloon, <laughs> isn't it? It's like a weather balloon, right? That I mean, weather balloon's gone and might land in someone's backyard or whatever. These dropsons are gone. I mean, they're. I think they're basically, I mean, the company claims 95% biodegradable. Oh. I would say mo- most of what probably falls down there anyway is going to go into the ocean. So you. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not dropping, we're not doing it's any. It's not going to fall in someone's backyard, right? Right. We're not <laughs> doing any of this over the over land. So, yeah, it's all over the ocean. We also drop buoys off of our plane. So we, we can launch various types of buoys based on whoever is requesting it, like the Navy Naval Oceanography, um, Scripps University, the cruise Earth. ships. <laughs> yeah, cruise ships. Um, there's different different buoys that will launch out the back of our plane, and there's also AXPTs, which are these ones where once they hit, they're kind of like a, a large drop sun. They go out the back of our ramp, they hit the ocean, and they punch down a certain distance in the ocean, and they come back up, and they report back like sea surface temp, um, I think salinity, and then like the the thermocline of the ocean to kind of help them tell like heat con ocean heat content, things like that. So we also do those as well. Wow. I mean, there's a lot more going on than I think even I ever thought that you guys were doing out there. And and that's awesome. Like, I'm so glad there's so much information, um, you know, getting ingested by our modeling and, and being utilized by the NHC. Um, now, Brad, I know you had a question about uh, there's a, a, Two different kind of, well, not technically the Hurricane Hunter division, um, Brad, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I know that there's 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 the NOAA side and then there's the uh, Air Force side. So, uh, Ryan, just give, give us a quick, uh, I guess, run through of, of how that works. You got two separate kind of entities running into the hurricanes, but still the same data is being sampled and used, right? Uh, similar. Uh, yeah. So there's two different organizations. One's the NOAA Air Operations Center. They have two P3s and a G4, G4 high altitude, P3 lower altitude, similar to a C-130. Um, and they're, they're, they fall under the Department of Commerce and they are tasked to do um, primarily research missions, research driven missions, because they have a lot of other instrumentation on their aircraft. Um, their big one for hurricanes is tailed up radar and that imagery, I guess, gets ingested into the models. So when we're flying hurricanes to actually find the center of it, they're, they're going around in and around the eye wall, trying to get imagery to get, go put into the models, um, which makes it more accurate as well. And they have other instrumentation as well. That's going on to it. Um, so they're, they're research based. They can do fixed missions like we can and augment us when we, for example, we can't reach something or, um, we have to swap aircraft or we, we have to hurry to a different location. They, they can supplement us. Our primary mission is to do the fixed 
the investigative missions and then the fixed missions of any type of tropical system that the Hurricane Center. So we have 10 aircraft, 10 WC-130Js. So we're doing mo- the majority of them, uh, majority of, of those fixed missions, finding the center of them, the strength of them, the quadrants, doing those fixed patterns, the alpha patterns. So, but, And we fall under the DOD, of course. We're Reserve Command, Air Force Reserve, Reserve Command under uh, Department of T- Defense. And, uh, and those three NOAA planes, they have uh... – they have uh, quite the uh, odd names, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like Miss Piggy, Kermit the Frog, and Gonzo, I think. Yeah. Well, we have 10 of them, so it's too much for us to name 10. And remember them all. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So also, then along those lines, then, w- w- I mean, you mentioned Keesler and, and th- is there like a home office, per se, for for your side or like where every all the planes are mostly at and then of course you're going to scatter about once you go on missions correct yeah we're all out of keesler air force base bluxy mississippi so, so we actually have the airfield there that's where we train out of that's where we go on local missions train throughout the week we, we fly all the time if, if you thought if you monitor us our data is being sent out to go into the global models all the time um even our training missions because, hey, why not? I mean, it's only going to... Why not? Because you're already up there, right? Why well, waste the, the fuel? Yeah. And it's going to be making the models better, you know, if it's accurate data. So so we have our 10 aircraft at Keesler, and we also have that other squadron that's a tactical airlift squadron, the 815th. They have 10 C-130s there as well. So there's actually 20 aircraft at Keesler. Then um, the NOAA AOC, they used to be at McDill... Uh, but they now are at Lakeland, Florida. They have their own hangar. McDill is in Tampa, right? In Florida. Yeah. So Lakeland's, I think, like thirty miles east of Tampa. But then, but then, when you do go on missions, though, you do drop at Air Force Base and fuel up and things like that, right? I guess whatever the closest one, or do you all go all back to Keesler? So I mean, so if there's storms like East Coast, Caribbean, we have. Forward operating location of St. Croix. So we, we have a we have a detachment down there, a building. We, we set up operations for however long we need to be, mostly roughly around a week, week to 10 days for a storm coming across the Atlantic or going through the Caribbean. Uh, once it passes and it can be picked up by Keesler or another forward operating location, like, for example, we often go to Savannah or Charleston or Homestead. We'll, we'll, we'll position ourselves down there because it shortens our flights. If we're flying something for a Bermuda, we'll be off the East Coast there somewhere. So we have many places, depending on where the storm is and what we're flying, or if it's going to impact Keesler, we've had many situations where if it's going to impact here, we got to move all 20 aircraft out of here, go somewhere so that all the aircraft are safe. Like for Exeda, the whole entire base abandoned. Like we evacuated everything. I even think about that, yeah. Yeah. And then meanwhile, we had to continue to fly the storm. So the storm, yeah. we can't leave our families back home. I mean, we left, We, you know, whoever's going on the cruise takes the planes over. Then you're, you're the hard cruise for the storm. I flew Zeta, I think, one time because it was so fast moving. I upgraded it to a hurricane, I think. My last pass, they upgraded it to a hurricane. And then after that, it, like, blossomed. Um, and then we're in San Antonio flying out of San Antonio. And meanwhile, it's coming and impacting here, basically. You know, and it's good we moved. I think Brad was trying to ask earlier, um, when storms come off the African coast and they start strengthening, at what point 
are you guys going to go out and, and fly a mission to it? You know, like how close does it need to get before you start doing that? We'll, we'll start flying them at 52 and a half degrees longitude, uh, which is basically the extent of how far we can reach from St. Croix and giving us ourselves a few hours in the storm. Um, so I think Noah, they can get, they can go to Bar- Barbados so they can get a little further east, which I think they did for this last storm, Bonnie. Um, as it was coming across, they went to Barbados and flew an invest before we could even reach it from St. Croix. Then we flew, I think, the next day. So really, I mean, you can't get too far into the central Atlantic. I mean, because it's just so far from land to be able to go out and come back. So 52 is where we start flying a storm so the hurricane center they'll they'll give us basically a two-day heads up they'll say hey we need you to go to st croix tomorrow so that way you're in position to fly the following day so they're basically forecasting the speed of it and telling us when we can start flying it based on those that's cool yeah i'm just trying to i was trying to kind of get an idea of how far you know you know you're first intercepting that storm and you know how far away is it from st croix to to the 52 area I think it's a good three hours. I'm not sure how far it is. I th- probably a thousand miles. Thousand miles from there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I th- three three and a half hours to that. So then you got to take three three and a half hours back. So that's like seven hours. So give or take. I mean, we could fly about twelve hours with, you know, with a little spare. Depends on how efficient we are with the fuel and stuff. Um, I guess one of the questions that we had too was, you know, once you're starting to fly missions in the storm, how often do you guys go out and, and, and fly those missions and, and, you know, fix those locations? Well, it, it obviously depends on how close it is to land. Um, so the proximity to land really determines how often we fly it. Um, in the National Hurricane Operations Plan, then hop. I think you should be able to. You can probably access it. It'll tell you when the Hurricane Center will task us for twelve hourlies, which means one every twelve hours, one fixed time. And when it's fixed time, it means we're going. We're doing an, an entire alpha pattern, so getting all four quadrants of the storm. Then, as it gets closer to land, you know, or a lot of times we're doing six hourlies. Uh, as it's fl- going through the the islands and the Bahamas and all those areas, because it's it's basically you can't really do three hour. So we will go all the way down to three hourlies, which means every three hours there's a task time to be hitting it. But on six hours you're doing that anyway. It's just three hourlies. There's not a there's not a six hour gap where let's just say to make it easy. Um, 6Z and 12Z were tasked to fly. We need to hit fixed times around those times. So then if it's six hours, then the next ones would be 18Z and 0Z that we would send a mission out. If you're doing three hourlies, there's there's not a six-hour gap between that 12 and 18Z time frame. There's a three-hourly in between that. So it really what it does is it crunches. It, it basically has planes nonstop going through a storm. That that time when we start doing that, that's when it's hitting the East Coast, coming up for East Coast 
or Gulf of Mexico, we're, we're flying round the clock. Planes are coming in and out of the storm. I mean, like one's finishing and the other one's en route to it to hit the next fixed time. Yeah, I've noticed that when watching it on uh, online on a few websites. Six hourly is like through the Caribbean and the Antilles. And, you know, that's typically what we'll do because, you know, it's it's not affecting like large chunks of land and stuff like that. So it's kind of a different terminology like that we're accustomed to that maybe the general public isn't really accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, uh, we deal with uh, just with our forecasting, dealing with the the Z time or the Zulu, you know, we always are are using that for our model run data. And, you know, it's not because we need a standardized time. We can't just be in east coast and eastern over here central over here you know mountain over here you know we got to know when those models are coming out so um but uh man this is great i mean i i just never knew what all was entailed so it's really awesome talking with you and brad i mean i don't know if you had any other questions for ryan here before no i mean maybe we can revisit ryan like during the winter time too when he's not that busy and we can kind of ask him a few other things yeah i'd be more than welcome to um because we're gonna be busy doing that and, and we that's actually a little different we and i'll you know i don't go too much into it here but we actually do a staff element where we sit with the forecasters at scripts so i can go into a little bit more detail about that too and that's really interesting, um, being able to do that and plan with them, our missions. I can remember just in the last couple of years now, even when like a, a disturbance comes onto the northwest uh, U.S. shore there, like up in Washington, we want to sample that because it's so unsampled, that whole area. And you don't even know. I mean, the models are kind of showing you what it's going to be, that, but to get that real uh, you know, sampling data in there, then it really changes where the ridge and trough pattern could be. I mean, if it's off just 100, 200 miles, you know, that's a huge difference for the East Coast. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, for the East Coast, too. That's downstream effects. Right. down. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because it, it impacts what's going to happen later in the week for us. Because we, we get calls. We get, I mean, you know what? We'll have snow showers in the forecast. Okay, they can deal with it. But as soon as the media gets going on snowstorms, oh, we have a big storm on Friday. You know, we'll get our clients to call. And rightfully so, they'll call and say, hey, yeah, I know there's snow showers today. But what about the storm on Friday? Because they got to start prepping their, you know, their staffing for how they're going to have snow removal and things like that. So, um, you know, we, we, we're more, we're very interested in what's going on in the Northwest versus, you know, the East coast four days ahead, because you know, what may impact us down the road. Oh yeah. And, and you'd be surprised, like, since we've been integrated with them, like the last six, seven years of how important it is to know, like where these atmospheric rivers are making landfall out there, because like the, the the driving force is reservoirs. There are reservoirs out there. It has to do with how much water these people are getting, and this this is a huge money money issue too. It starts coming down to like agriculture, economy, money. Where this landfalling AR, if it's like a hundred miles off of where they predicted it, that's a that's huge. And like whether or not they let water out of a reservoir, so what they call it is forecast informed reservoir operations. So what this guy, Marty Ralph, is trying to do is create this entity of basically getting all the reservoirs on board. And it's they manage their reservoirs based on the forecast. And the forecast is being ba- is being increased or enhanced by our aircraft reconnaissance. It's, it's making it more accurate. 
So they've they've gone back and done studies of our drop signs and how it has improved the forecast and where the precip is. It's really where the landfalling precip is. Where where is the main bands of of the heavy precip going to be? Is it going to hit this reservoir or is it going to hit this reservoir? I mean, that's how intimate this is. Um, and it's a big deal because, hey, if I let water out of this reservoir and it didn't hit here, we didn't get that much. Now I've wasted all that water, you know, because they don't want it to flood, too. So it has to do with like the flooding and all this other stuff. So there, it's really, really interesting um, getting involved in all this because it, like these storms are their hurricanes. It's the hurricanes of the West to them, really. Well, that's that's great. I mean, we'll have to revisit that maybe at a certain time, um, you know, because, you know, we're just like Brad said, concerned about the downstream impacts on the East Coast Nor'easter um, and what you guys are doing in the West helps that out. But we don't even know about the West Coast impacts, too. And we could talk more at length uh, about that, too, maybe another time. But, you know, Ryan, I, I really got to thank you uh, for coming on to the uh, podcast here. It's been really enlightening to to find out all of what you guys do out there so i really appreciate it yeah no problem at all i love talking about what we do and uh, advertising what we do and just really making aware of the public of like the differences of like the different units and and how important the data that you know both organizations provide because without it i mean i you you can you'll listen to like it was just director ken graham he was the director of the hurricane center just a little bit ago now he's the national weather service director um i believe uh jamie rome is the sitting in um acting director and um they'll they just they rave about how important the aircraft data is and the lack without it i mean they they feel really handicapped so it's uh, it's really important. We do our best to get out there and do it, even if we have plane problems or personnel problems or whatever it is. Well, we really do appreciate all you do, um, you know, for the weather community and and you know, help with our forecast. So, again, I, I just can't say enough. Uh, thank you so much uh, for what you guys do. Thanks for coming on the program, and uh, we'll have you on maybe uh, in the winter, and we can discuss more of those impacts. Okay, sounds great. All right. Well, that's it for the Weather Lounge episode uh, this time, and thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Remember, we'll have a new podcast every two weeks here on the Weather Lounge, and also, please rate the podcast. This helps push our show forward, and don't forget to visit WeatherWorks on social media, and always find us at weatherworksinc.com. That's all for this episode, so thanks again, everyone, for joining us. 